Uh, I've got 9.30, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. This is uh, the 10th commandment, sort of, I, I don't know, I guess providentially I taught the first commandment and I added the, the prologue to that. I'm t- teaching the 10th commandment and I added what I'm calling the epilogue to the 10 commandments. It's probably a, a misnomer, but just I think the, uh, the few verses at the end of Exodus 20 and then uh, Deuteronomy 5 tell us a little bit about how we should uh, use the Ten Commandments as Christians. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the, the question to consider for this morning is, what is envy? And then some synonyms, covetousness, jealousy. So what, what's the definition? Is it an action or a movement of the heart or both? And then why do you say it is what it is? We'll do a little bit of review, and then we'll go over the three questions of the uh, larger catechism that deal with the Tenth Commandment, and then we'll talk a little bit about, uh, like I said, the three verses after the first giving of the law in Exodus, and then uh, 11 verses after the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 5, and then some extra bonus uh, larger catechism questions that have to do with the law and the relation of the law to the people of God. So, uh, go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll get started. Our great trying God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to come together as brothers and sisters through the blood of your Son, Christ, and the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have brought each of us here. Thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you that you have given us your law as a teacher as a guard against sin, and as uh, a guide for the right uh, way of life. Um, We pray that you would be with us this morning, as we we know that you are through your Holy Spirit. pray that he would uh, guide our conversation, guide our understanding of your law, and how we can apply it to live in a way that's more faithful to you, more glorifying to your name, and that spreads your kingdom. pray all these things in Christ's name, through your Spirit. Amen. All right, so uh, somebody give me a definition of envy, covetousness, jealousy. What is it? Wanting, um, wanting what someone else, what, what someone else has. Okay, wanting what someone else has. Good definition. Anybody else? Any? Well, envy, I think, is even more so. Not just I want what someone else has, but I want it to the point that I would be happy if they don't have what they can have. Okay. Good. So there's, uh, I guess, like a positive and a negative aspect. So the positive aspect is I want that thing. The negative aspect is I want them not to have it in order that I would have it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, or, or even like, since I don't have it, I wish they didn't have it. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point, because there's, I think we often think like, oh, I, I wish I had that, and that's true, but there's also sort of wishing evil upon others, um, feeling 
bad about other people's success. Okay? Um, so is it is envy, is it an action, or is it a movement of the heart, like an emotion or whatever, or is it both, and why? Well, it starts as a movement of the heart, but it can come out in our actions. Okay, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I would say, in itself, it's, uh, it's a movement of the heart, it's, it's a desire, but then, yeah, certainly it, it comes out, uh, it, it can manifest as actions. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about later about the, uh, the relationship of the Tenth Commandment to, like, the Seventh and Eighth Commandment. Um, okay, so, a little bit of review. So this is way back, I don't remember, I guess it's ten weeks ago. Um, when, I, when I taught the First Commandment, we talked about the prologue to the Ten Commandments. So what is the prologue? Uh, teach us about our duty as humans, as Christians, uh, about our duty to obey the law of God. So this is, uh, if you're, if you have your Bible, I was about to say page 90. <laughs> Silly, because you don't have the same Bible I do. But it's Exodus chapter 20. This is uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So there we have, particularly verse 2, um, leaning on some of um, Dr. Joel Behe's work, we, we talked about three kind of reasons or motivations for studying and following the Ten Commandments. You guys remember what those three were? Yes, there are, there are three kind of reasons or motivations for people to obey the law of God um, contained in verse 2. So what, what are some of the, the motivations for or, or intensifications of the duty to obey the Ten Commandments that we have in verse 2? Love, love for God. Okay, love for God. Yes, certainly. Um, why should we love God specifically from verse 2? Okay, because he's God, right? He's the sovereign Lord of all creation. Um, so, so certainly in um, the first commandment, have, you shall have no other gods before me. You should not make a carved image, second commandment, second commandment right? Um, there's, there's a prohibition against that for, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that God created everything, so we don't have the right to make something that was created uh, a, a god. Okay? So God is sovereign. What are what do you think the other two are? Well, He brought us out of the house of bondage. So okay. He saved us, so that should produce gratitude. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. So, so God is a, a saving God. He is a He is a savior. So Moses or, or God through Moses here is speaking to the people of Israel specifically about which house of bondage. Yeah, yeah, the bondage in Egypt. Uh, when it applies to us, I don't think any of us were in bondage in Egypt and saved. Uh, what is the application? Bondage to sin. Yeah, yeah, God has saved us as Christians from bondage to sin. So he's brought us out 
of the house of slavery, the house of bondage. Okay, good, and there's, there's one more. And it's, like I said, it's a personal possessive pronoun. A little bit of grammar here. Because he's our God. Yeah, yeah, I'm the Lord, your God. So he's not only the sovereign Lord of all creation, heaven and earth, he's not only a saving God, but he's also our God. Uh, so that's the, the covenant aspect of God. Certainly in the Old Testament, his covenant people in Israel, he was their covenant God, but he is our covenant God as well. Okay, good. So the second review question is, uh, what are the two divisions or tables of the Ten Commandments? And what does each table deal with? Duty to God and duty to neighbor. Okay, yeah, duty to God, which is the first, first four, right? And then duty to our neighbor. Um, so we'll talk about how the Tenth Commandment kind of fits in there uh, in the second table. But all right, so uh, we're moving now to the, the larger catechism. So question 146 is which is the Tenth Commandment? Do not covet, right? So it's uh, it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? So the, the word that is translated as covet in Hebrew is chamad. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. but um, And it, it refers to desire. So desire... Uh, what are what are some different aspects of desire? Or what sort of things can you desire? Let's, we'll, we'll, sorry, I'll narrow it down a little bit more. Uh, morally, can you desire good things? Yes. Sure. Morally, can you desire evil things? Okay, good. So the the, the same word is uh, is used uh, sometimes about God's desires. It's a little bit of uh, anthropomorphism, right? Um, God's desires are not like our desires. It's, it's an analogy, an, an analogous desiring. But um, so, so does Scripture condemn desire in and of itself? No. Good. Uh, the, the Psalms are full of desiring uh, God, desiring to follow God's law. Um, we would certainly say that's a that's a good desire. So then, what is the what is particular about the desire? in the 10th commandment that makes it prohibited. So you desire what belongs to someone else. Right, good. So there's a lot of repetition in verse 17, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is his. So it, it belongs to someone else. Right? Um, and then there's... Uh, Micah, chapter 2, verse 2, uh, this, the chapter heading in my Bible says, Woe to the oppressors. So verse 1 says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. So this is a pronouncement of God, uh, God's judgment on those who devise wickedness and work evil. Verse 2 brings up one specific way that these workers of evil uh, devise wickedness and work evil. 
It says they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. So certainly if all we had was the Tenth Commandment, we would know that God takes coveting seriously. But um, we also have this, this pronouncement of judgment, this pronouncement of woe on those who work evil by coveting. Okay, so um, what is the difference? So uh, Johnny talked about the Eighth Commandment last week, uh, you shall not steal, and then someone, I wasn't here, someone talked about the Seventh Commandment, I think that was Johnny too, uh, you shall not commit adultery. So what is the difference between the Tenth Commandment, the things that are prohibited, the, the coveting that is prohibited by the Tenth Commandment, and the things that are prohibited by the Seventh and Eighth Commandment? Certainly there can be coveting involved in uh, adultery and in theft, right? What's the difference between those? <clears throat> yes? It seems that the Tenth Commandment is more focused on the heart issue um, mm-hmm. as opposed to the other commands, you know, stealing, committing adultery, they are actually taking what they want. Okay. Whereas this is more with the heart issue of desiring things that the Lord has not given you. Right. Right. So, um, we talked about this earlier. Um, coveting is primarily a movement of the heart. You say like an emotion or um, a motion of the heart. But it often can uh, bring itself out in things like adultery or theft. Um, I think the, the confession is really good on the Ten Commandments because it weaves that thought into the other commandments. So, for instance, when it talks about murdering, you shall not murder, you think, okay, well, I, I haven't killed anybody or I haven't murdered anybody. That's, I'm, I'm good to go. But it talks about there are certain things sort of along the way. The, the end point is murder. But there are things that are also sinful. There are, it, it's even movements of the heart or motions of the heart, thoughts that you have, desires that you have um, that are contrary to the, uh, the, the commandment not to murder. So, um, are emotions or desires neutral? Okay. Uh, what, what, what does it mean for something to be neutral? Okay, yeah, so like Switzerland's a neutral country, right? So they don't take part in, in wars. Um, what about like morally neutral? What does it mean for somebody to be morally neutral? Yeah, yeah, so on the one, one hand you have sin, on the other, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, you have like, righteousness. So if something is morally neutral, it's in the middle. It's neither sinful nor righteous. Is anything morally neutral? Okay. Why not? Um, we either sin by commission or sin by omission. If you say that it's neutral, you're usually not doing something. Mm-hmm. But by not doing something, you're disobeying the spirit of the commandment, which is you should be content with what you have mm-hmm. and striving to bless your neighbors as much as possible. Yeah. So even though you're not coding, are you praying for your neighbors? Are you content with what 
Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into some of the specifics that the, the confession talks about, the, the duties commanded and the, the uh, sins forbidden. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so, the, so there's nothing that's morally neutral, right? Um, there's no, I, I think Van Til would, would say there's no brute fact that's, like, separate from God. There can't be, like, even 2 plus 2 equals 4, I think that's, a, that's like a brute uh, arithmetic fact but it's not. It's it's related to God because God is creator. God is sovereign, like we talked about. Okay, so emotions are not neutral. So what are they? Or what determines what they are? Reminds me of, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote a book about um, technology. You know, there's, there's like a debate in technology. Is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or is it a neutral thing? And he confusingly says it's, it's neither good, nor bad, nor neutral. Uh, but technology in itself, it, it depends on what you're using technology for. So that, Andy Crouch? Probably. Okay. I, I heard it on... Um, the life books and everything podcast. So. so it's kind of the same thing with desire, right? Uh, or emotions. They're not neutral because nothing is neutral because uh, we are sinful, fallen human beings. Um, what determines whether they're sinful or righteous is the, the intent, the, the desire, the, the things that you're using it for. Um, so this brings me to Romans uh, chapter 7. Verses seven and eight. Yeah, I, yeah. I do want to make one clarification. I think it's helpful. Sometimes uh, there is sin in and of itself. So yes. you know, let's right. say, hey, I'll, you know, <clears throat> my intent in going to the strip club with these with the with my bros is, you know, I'm going to witness to them. I'm going to share the gospel, show them the love of God. But we're going to go. My heart is not to. Okay, that's obviously clearly so. Yeah. Yeah, the intent has a huge element, but there are still things that are clearly yes. uh, God calls sin. So. Good. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. I think one other. Mm-hmm. I think it's important too to remember that the whether or not something someone does or thinks, you know, whether it's good or bad, really is dependent uh, at its foundation on whether or not their heart has been regenerated. Mm-hmm. Because Scripture says that for those who are non-believers, even their good works are filthy rags. Yeah. So it really is whether or not the heart has been saved by Christ. Yes, definitely. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, okay, so Romans chapter 7. This is, this is Paul's uh, chapter on uh, indwelling sin and believer. Verse 7 says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So the, my, my point in bringing this up is that um, what Paul is saying here is that it's, it's not just uh, the end product that is sinful. It's, it's the motions of the heart, the desire that leads up to the sin is also sinful. 
I, uh, several weeks ago in one of the ABF lessons, I, I made an analogy and I didn't think it through fully, so I don't know how, how effective it was, but I think of it like a, like a road trip. So my family, we're going to the beach on Tuesday. Um, it's like a two and a half hour drive or whatever it is. But imagine you're, you're driving across country and you, you have your starting place and you have your end point. And in this analogy, the end point is the sin. So we'll, we'll take, you know, you shall not murder. That's the end point. Don't, don't murder. If you get there, you're, you've obviously sinned. If you murder someone, you've obviously sinned. But in a long road trip, you're not just going from point A to point B, right? Um, you have to stop to get gas, you have to stop to use the bathroom, get some snacks or whatever. What Paul is saying here, or, or how this analogy relates to, to Romans 7, is that it's not just the end point that is sinful, it's all those stops along the way. It's the motions of, of sin are sinful in themselves as well. And that, that kind of gets to um, concupiscence. I don't know if you guys follow that. Uh, that's a, sort of a uh, Roman Catholic, largely a Roman Catholic doctrine that um, the motions of sin are not sinful. It's just the, the sin itself. Um, and then in, in the larger catechism, question number 99, there are eight uh, rules to be observed for the right understanding of the commandments. Number six says that under one sin or duty, all of the same kind are forbidden or commanded, together with all the causes, means, occasions, and appearances thereof, and provocations thereunto. So it's not just the sin itself, it's everything that leads up to this. So that's what we're dealing with here in the Tenth Commandment. Okay, so question 147 says, um, what are the duties required in the Tenth Commandment? So this is uh, what I would say is a negative commandment, not negative in a bad sense, but it's, it's don't do this. So don't covet. But like we know, as we know from looking at the, the catechism on the commandments, even in so-called negative commandments, which don't do this, there are positive duties commanded. So what are the duties commanded or required in the Tenth Commandment? When there's a duty to be content with what we have. Yeah. And yep. More specifically, to be content with God because He should be our joy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and, and just to remind you, um, it is fully ac- acceptable to read the answer to the question, to answer this question, these questions. But so the duties required in the Tenth Commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition. So, yeah, we have to be content with what we have, we have to be content with what God has given us. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then Joseph said something earlier. Um, it's not just uh, focused on us. It's also focused on other people. So what is the, the aspect of this commandment that's focused on other people? That's sort of the positive aspect. It's not having a uh, neutral approach to them. Like, hey, I'm going to care for you. Really care if anything good or bad happens to you, mm-hmm. but it's an active seeking of our neighbor's good. Yeah. Which is love. Uh, right. So. Right. And we'll talk about that in a second, too. So uh, the, the catechism says uh, we, we have to have a such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching him 
tend unto and further all the good which is his. So there's, a, there's an aspect that's focused on us. We have to be content with what we've been given. Uh, but we also have to, I mean, that, that, that's pretty strong language, right? It's such a charitable frame of the whole soul. It's not just like, wow, you know, I, he's a good guy. I, I hope he does well. It's, it's not just a, you know, an intellectual thing. It's an emotional thing, spiritual thing. Um, everything that we, that we think and do for our fellow men is uh, our, our inward motions and affections have to tend unto and further the good which is his. That's pretty, that's pretty strong, right? That's a, that's a lot. Okay? Um, when we think about the answer to the catechism question, the, the positive duties, what does this commandment have to do with creation? Here I'm specifically thinking about the first part of the answer, such a full contentment with our own condition. What does that have to do with creation? Well, everything belongs to God. Mm-hmm. And if we're lacking anything, that is the place to get it. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if God created everything, and he is not only the creator, but the sustainer, and uh, everything belongs to him, what do we have apart from God? Not yet, nothing, right? So everything that we have has been given to us by God. If that's true, which it is, then if we are not content uh, with our own condition, with the things that we have or, or do not have, then we are sinning against God. It's not just, well, I just, it's not like just a mental thing, right? We're, we're sinning against God. Um, the, 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 this positive command of the, of the Tenth Commandment, or this positive duty of the Tenth Commandment, is, this is a quote from uh, Reformed Systematic Theology, it's grounded on God's sovereignty over all he created and his goodness in making it. God made everything, God owns everything, everything that we have has been given to us by God, and so if we are not content, then we are uh, sinning against God. And also, think back to Genesis 3, Right, the the fall in the garden. Uh, Genesis three uh, says the the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And that word desired is hamad. Please correct my pronunciation if it's incorrect. Which is that that's what Exodus twenty seventeen used. That that's the same word. So Eve coveted the tree desired it, 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 it had not been given to her or to Adam, right? Everything else that God created was given to them. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but not this tree. And they coveted, coveted it, they desired it, because they wanted to be wise in themselves, and not rely on God's wisdom. Okay? Question 148. This is the, sort of the, the negative side. Again, not negative in a bad way, but... Uh, Question 148 says, what are the sins forbidden in the Ten Commandment? It talks about the duties required. We have to be content, and we have to have um, sort of a whole-souled feeling of uh, goodness towards our neighbor. Now, what are the sins forbidden? Discontentment with our own estate, envy, 
grieving of the good of our neighbor and together with all the other emotions and affections anything that says. Good. All right. So, so one of the positive duties required is contentment. One of the negative sins forbidden is discontentment, not being content. That, that makes sense, right? Um, but the second part, you know, these are, these are sort of mirroring each other. So there's, a, there's a, an inward focus. We cannot be discontent with our own estate. But the, the outward focus, our neighbor, neighborly focus, we cannot envy or grieve at the good of our neighbor. Just kind of talked about that. It's, 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 and and uh, Ben as well. It's not, it's not just, you can't just be neutral to your neighbor. Um, you have to actively want his good and work for his good. You also can't grieve at the good that he has. Where do we see that in our, in our lives or in our world? Yes? So uh, I recently started reading Rosario Butterfield's hot off the press book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Mm-hmm. And in her introduction, she's, talk, she's connecting transgenderism with the Tenth Commandment here. Mm-hmm. And she says, if you are experiencing the desire to be or do something that God hasn't rightfully given you, whether this is coveting your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's gender, you are to cut that desire off not your own body parts. The sin of transgenderism is actually the sin of envy. Hmm. And then she goes on. Um, it's a great, great quote, great page. Yeah, certainly. Um, that's a great um, application of the Tenth Commandment to something that might not at first be obvious. Um, transgenderism, we don't usually think of coveting, but yeah, that is at the root of that. What else? Another one would be the whole concept of white privilege, that you're privileged because you're white. The people who say that, it's it's coming out of envy. Like, you've been blessed more than others, so somehow that's wrong. Like, some have said, like, oh, if you grow up in a stable two-parent household, like, you're privileged and you need to check your privilege. That just shows envy that you grew up in a two-parent household and they they did it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You guys are giving lots of good, um, good applications. I was thinking more, I don't know, humdrum, I guess. <laughs> you guys familiar with the, the concept of a, a zero-sum game? What does somebody define that for me? Uh, you have one pie. If I get three-quarters of the pie, you don't get, you only get one-quarter of the pie. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's like a fine, there's, resources are finite. What you don't have, someone else is having. What they don't have, you have. So the idea is to get the most that you can. Um, and that's, that's kind of how our world, certainly how America thinks about things like wealth, blessing, right? So uh, if you don't have as much as you can, then that's bad. So you should try to get as much as you have. And when you get as much as you have, you're taking it away from someone else. And that's okay, because you're the most important yeah, I think part of creation. In, in America, this is a um, very cunning all of us in this room have been deceived by it, um, just by the nature of consumerism. Yeah, it's an easy uh, dart to throw and say, yes, that's bad, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's very sneaky in the sense to know our own hearts, like there's this product, and yes, I want it, 
leads. Mm. I have it. Now, we don't tell ourselves that. I, I think we're deceived. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is good marketing, etc. But, you know, whatever it may be, you know, we may not covet very much our neighbor's stuff, but we may not be fully content, even though mm-hmm. we'd like to. We have a veneer of contentment. Yes, I'm content. I love the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But at root, uh, it's pretty sneaky. Yeah. Definitely, and it's it's not just it's not just stuff. It's not just money. Um, have you ever been at a job and someone got promoted who you thought you were better than? Probably incorrect grammatically, but you you knew or you thought that you did your job better than they did their job, and they got the promotion before you. <laughs> Military guys probably seen that a lot. Um, people get promoted in the military. Not really sure why. Sometimes. Um, but you think, man, I'm, I'm at least as smart as him. I'm at least as good as her. Why did they get promoted and I didn't? Um, so it's, it's, it's that sort of thing as well. Okay, so now we're going to talk about love. Uh, come back to something Ben said earlier. What does the Tenth Commandment have to do with love? Okay. So the 10th commandment commands you to desire the good of your neighbor, which is an outworking of loving them. Yeah, for sure. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 2, it says, uh, well, I'll read verse 1 as well. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So these, these people that he's talking about are lovers. They love, which is good, right, Ian? The Bible commands us to love. But what are they loving? Yeah, they're loving their self. They're loving money. They're loving their own sense of their self, pride, arrogance. They're loving um, their own law. They're, they're disobedient to their parents. They're ungrateful. They're unholy, sinful, heartless. Right? There's all these things. So love, the, the, the world says that you know, just all we need is love, Right? Well, what kind of love? So, so again, love is not, it's not a neutral thing. It's not, it's not love is categorically good or neutral. And if you just have it, then you're okay. You have to love the right things. <clears throat> we go to uh, the, the Paul's chapter of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read 4 through 6. This is Paul's definition of morally acceptable love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is, this is Paul's positive definition of, of holy love. 
Who is the embodiment of this love? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, so, did was Jesus a lover of himself? Was Jesus a lover of money? Was he proud, arrogant, unholy? No. So, so this definition of love is is what, what's the opposite of this definition of love? Love that is impatient, mean, love that envies, love that boasts, arrogant love, rude love, right? So this is, this is kind of a, a definition of covetousness, right? If you love in the opposite of these ways, if you love in the, the way that people love in Second Timothy, then you are covetous. So what kinds of things are we supposed to, if, if love is not neutral, or love is not good in and of itself, what kinds of things are we supposed to love? Godly things. Yes. And uh, I worded that kind of poorly. Whom are we supposed to love? Yeah. Yeah, God and our neighbor. Um, In 1 John chapter 2, John says, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to love the things of the world. We're supposed to love the will of God. Supposed to desire the things of God. And if you had to choose a person to love, who should you choose? God, more specifically? Jesus, right? Uh, Second person of the Trinity. James uh, chapter 4, again, this is is more things um, illuminating the the sins forbidden in the tenth commandment. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is kind of an intensification of the um, of the seriousness of covetousness. We, we, we obviously, we read the Tenth Commandment. We read Micah, God's uh, condemnation of covetousness. But what's James saying here? Covetousness equals enmity with God, right? If you love the world, if you covet, then you hate God. You're an enemy of God. You're trying to commit deicide. You're trying to kill God, right? So, what things are we? What what person are we supposed to love? Jesus, in uh, John chapter fourteen, verse eight, Philip said to Jesus, "Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us." And how do we see the Father? Through Jesus. And how do we see Jesus? Hmm? Bible, yeah, through Scripture, right? So. How are we supposed to renew our minds? 
Are we supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Submitting to the Spirit inspired Word of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not like a it's not like a light switch, right? You're saved and then you're you're automatically transformed by the renewing of your mind. In one sense, you're justified. That is, that's a one-time act, right? But sanctification is a process. It's a process that you have a part in, um, working with the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, so um, let's speak kind of practically here. So what, what are some practical ways that you, we, me, what are some, some practical ways that we can avoid covetousness? It's, it's, it's all well and good to say, don't covet. Got it. I'm not going to covet. How's that going to work out? Uh, thanking God regularly. Okay, thanking God regularly. So making a practice of, of gratefulness, thanking God for what we have. Good. What else? You could pray. You could pray. We could pray that the Lord would uh, make our hearts content in Christ. Mm-hmm. He would do so through the uh, just the ordinary problems. Uh, and he would bring situations to us where we are tested, where our contentment is, is tested. Uh, so, prayer, problems. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what, what, what did James say? He said, you don't have because you don't ask. We don't ask for contentment. Probably not going to be content. Or... We ask, and we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. If we want material blessings, which are, are good, they're blessings, right? But if we ask for them for the wrong reasons or in the wrong ways, then um, that's obviously simple. Good, so gratefulness, thankfulness to God, prayer, what else? Yeah, definitely. We're, we're all blessed by God materially. We, uh, we, we give a portion of what we have been given by God to the church for the spread of his kingdom. We can give to other charitable uh, organizations. And yeah, just having people in your home. The, the militias had us in their home on Friday. And if you had to, if you had to guess what multiple... Uh, how much more food did Celine make than she usually makes? Like, uh, give me a number, like five times, ten times as much? Yeah, we'll go five. Okay. It was a lot more, right? Because there's a lot of us. But yeah, five. five. That, that kind of ends up, right? Because there's two of you. There were nine of us there. Times five. Ten. So, yeah, a lot more food. They blessed us by buying more food than they usually do making more food than they usually do, and they even gave us some to take home with us. So having people in your home is, yeah, that's absolutely a good way to uh, to put to death the sin of covetousness. What else? What are some other practical things? I think there's a submission aspect there that uh, kind of like the, Jesus was always telling the disciples about God's kingdom, mm-hmm. and they would always, oh yeah, that sounds great. Who gets to sit next to you? Or like, oh, who will be the best? Yeah. So that they were hearing what he said, but they were like making it their own version of God's mm-hmm. kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think we do that too. 
uh, for our own lives. Uh, our version or our kind of projection of what our lives look like may not necessarily be what God has for us. Mm-hmm. And we have to submit to that. Um, or, or else we'll constantly be kind of out of out of order with what God is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is maybe one of the sources of covetousness as well, that we have our own sort of self-willed version of how we think our lives should be. But really, it's His kingdom. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. If you if you decide how your life is going to go, and then you order your life to reach that goal, it's going to be probably different than if you submit yourself to God's will for your life. Certainly. I want to touch on two things. One, just go back to this idea of giving for a second. Um, Yeah, absolutely having people in your home, but just the act of giving on a regular basis, um, it creates a dependency upon God because you're giving from what you have and then you have less to kind of use the pie analogy. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's an assumption there, and I think it trains our hearts. Well, my God is bigger than how much I'm giving away, and he gave all to me. And so kind of having that heartbeat of giving, whether it's time, resources, talents, etc., because mm-hmm. um, obviously he has enough. Uh, and the second thing is, a lot of this, this is why I love Reformed theology too, because... It's grounded in the sovereignty of God. And so if we truly believe that everything, you know, is ordained by God, then that captures this idea of contentment. So the lot that he has given for what we, you know, whether they're good providences or hard providences, we trust that that is what the Lord has for us and we can grow in contentment um, with that. And we give from a place knowing that in our hearts. Um, yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, back on that, um, Paul had said, the gospel. So reflecting on the gospel, that Jesus did not hold himself back from us, mm-hmm. but gave himself to us, gave all of himself to us, considering, prayerfully reflecting on the various vast spiritual blessings that we have, in particular Ephesians 1 comes to mind, but all of these blessings that we have been given by God, uh, we don't deserve any of them. God's generosity, the, the gospel, the good news of Christ, um, good news that is Christ. As we reflect more on that, as we reflect more on Him, then we'll say, all I, all I have Christ, or all I need is Christ, we can uh, be content with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you hear the language of, like, deserve, deserving a lot. Like, I, I deserve more. I'm a good guy. I'm a hard worker. I deserve what I have. I get to, I should be able to do what I want with it. But what do you actually deserve? Hell. Yeah, eternal hellfire. That kind of changes your perspective, right? And if you've been saved from eternal hellfire and you've been given the very Holy Spirit to live in your heart, uh, what else do you need? Good. I also like uh, what Ben said about sort of it being a practice. So the practice of 
giving trains you to be reliant on God and not on your job or your, your own strength or whatever. Uh, th- there are other practices out there in the world too, right? I've been also mentioned earlier, uh, advertising. A lot of really good advertisers who are really good at their jobs and they make really good commercials to make you want to, to buy something because it'll make you complete, right? So the world is also from without working on our hearts to make us practice covetousness. And so, you know, the first step is to be aware that that's happening and then fight it with the word of God. Yes. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think a really practical application is just being very careful of what we watch, what we see, what we look at. You know, if you're constantly watching HD TV shows that are all about, you know, building houses and it's making you covet and think, mm-hmm. man, I wish my house were that big or yeah. I wish I had those kind of countertops or yeah. I wish my fridge was that large or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're constantly feeding yourself with looking at things and comparing it to your own life, that's going to cause covetousness. It's going to yeah. cause you to desire things that you don't have or to be dissatisfied with what you already do have. Yeah, definitely. So those are good, good practical ways to avoid covetousness, but what do we need most of all? More than good strategies, good um, techniques, what do we actually need? Or, or what do we need foundationally, I guess? Because techniques are good as well. Somebody mentioned it earlier. We, we, I think it was Liz. We, we have to be born again, right? We have to be regenerated. We have to have a new heart to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to submit ourselves to the Word of God and to His prompting in our consciences to be progressively sanctified, to be made more like Christ. All right, we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, I, I mentioned this at the beginning. I, I taught the first commandment and I sort of tacked on some stuff. The, the prologue, I'm teaching the tenth commandment. I'm tacking on what I'm calling the epilogue, which is probably an incorrect way of talking about it. But... I'm going to read uh, Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21, because I think this has some good lessons for us in in sort of how to use the law of God as the people of God. So God spoke these words to Moses, and then verse 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may not be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, what were the the people afraid of? Death. Death, okay. Uh, What kind of death? Or death by whom? by God. And what uh, attribute of God caused them to fear for their lives? Yeah, His holiness. They saw from afar off, through thick darkness and and smoke, the holiness of God. A a small glimpse of the holiness of God. And they, they feared for their lives. And so they speak to Moses and they say, yeah, God's a serious guy, right? 
you talk to us. God can talk to you, you talk to us, and then, then we'll be cool. Uh, so, so what were they seeking? A mediator, right? A go-between. Someone to go between them and God, because they saw God's holiness, and they feared for their lives. And whom did they get at that you know, point in redemptive history? Moses, Moses right? Moses, his face was glowing, uh, covered it with a veil. Um, was, was Moses enough? No, what, what was Moses? A type, yeah. A type of Christ, right? A type of the true mediator. He, he was a mediator. He did mediate between God and his people Israel. But he was pointing forward to Christ, the true mediator. Um, and then let's... Um, I'm going I'm to skip Deuteronomy because it's, it's largely the same thing. Although there is there's a promise given for keeping the commandments. Um, but, but let's go to Westminster Larger Catechism, question 149. This is sort of... This is after the explication, exposition of the Ten Commandments. Um, this is sort of their summary, so that's why I put it here. So, is any man perfectly able to keep the commandments of God? Okay, yeah, short answer, no. We know that, right? Uh, the long answer, no man is able either of himself or by any grace received in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God. But he does daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Again, I think the, the catechism is really great on that because I think we're, we're tempted to just think of the deed. I didn't murder anybody today. Cool. Check that one off, right? I didn't commit adultery today. Check that one off. I didn't steal anything, I don't think. Check that one off. But it's not just deeds. It's words. It's thoughts. It's the motions of the heart, right? And then question 152, what does every sin deserve at the hands of God? His wrath. In this life and that which is to come cannot be expiated but by the blood of Christ. Yes, excellent. So, every sin, even the least, the, the smallest sin, the little white lie, it's against the sovereignty, goodness, and holiness of God and against his righteous law. So we're, we're without excuse, not only because God is who he says he is and because he wrote his law in our hearts, but he also wrote his law in a book that we have. And so we're sinning against God, we're sinning against his law, and every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life to come. And nothing can expiate it, nothing can forgive that sin except the blood of Christ. So, what's our hope? If we, if we ended here, this would be kind of a bummer of a way to wrap up the Ten Commandments, right? You're all going out, because you can't can't keep the law, you break it daily in thought, word, and deed, and every breaking of the law deserves eternal hellfire. So where's the hope? Well, question 153, what does, what doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us by reason of the transgression of the law? What are the things that were required by God to expiate that sin? He required of us repentance towards God and faith for the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. Okay, good. So there's three things there. We're required to repent towards God. So what is repentance? 
you know, turning away from your sin and turning towards God. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, I repent. It has to be a, right, like a specific, I repent of this sin that I committed. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, that's true, and it's right, but what sin did you commit? How did you commit it? Okay, so we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin, not just sort of mentally, like, I'm turning away from the sin. I got it. Um, there's, if we're breaking the law in thought, word, and deed, we also need to repent in thought, word, and deed. So there's, we have to think differently. We have to uh, speak differently. And then certainly we have to act differently. And so we have repentance towards God, and we have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What is faith? Johnny's got a really good definition of faith. You said a couple years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. So hopefully you still remember it to put you on the spot. Probably my notes here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's right. So, so, so what is faith? There, there are a couple of aspects of faith, right? It's not just, um, it, it's not just hope. There's a like, I, I have. Probably 90% faith that if I sat on this stool, it would hold me up, right? I haven't sat on it in a long time, so I assume it's still good. But uh, there's an intellectual component to it, right? I see that it's well-built. I sat on it before, years ago. I think if I sat on it, I would be fine. There is a, there's, there's trust, right? There's intellectual knowledge. There's trust. And then it's uh, I'm sort of putting myself at the mercy of this stool and whoever made this stool, that they did a good job and that it's not, you know, hollow from termites or whatever. So faith towards Jesus Christ, we know that Christ is who he says he is because we trust him. We, we trust that he did what he said he did and that he will save us and then we, we place ourselves at his mercy. Okay? Now the third thing is the, the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation. So what are the outward means? Think of the word means. Means of grace. means of grace. Okay, what are some means of grace? It's word. Okay. Word? Sacraments. Sacraments. Yes. Then did the hand motion. Word, sacrament, prayer, right? Um so word, sacrament, prayer. We talked about the reading, reading the word and submitting ourselves to the word. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We pray to ask God to do the things that he has promised that he will do. And we take the sacraments. We are baptized. We take the Lord's Supper. Those are means, those are ways that God communicates his grace to us. Those are the three sort of you know, traditionally reformed means of grace. If you, you take it in like a, a wider sense, uh, I mean, going to church is a means of grace, right? Um, evangelizing can be thought of as a means of grace. Just having holy conversations with brothers and sisters. So we have to repent towards God, away from our sin. We have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And we have to make diligent use of the means that God has given us. He's given us so much. He's given us himself through his spirit. He's given us a way that every week we can remember and proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection. And that is a way that we are uh, 
the way that God communicates the benefits of his mediation. All right, the last question, we don't have time to talk about it, but I would encourage you to, to read it and think about it. Uh, what have you learned in our study of the Ten Commandments? How can we apply them to our daily Christian walks? So um, hopefully this has been beneficial. I'm glad to be able to sort of wrap up the Ten Commandments. Um, this might be my last ABF uh, teaching before I head off. Uh, so thank you for being here and for participating. It's been great. Um, can I get someone to close us in prayer? The prayers for worship. Father, thank you um, for the opportunity over the past um, several weeks, a couple of months, to study your word, Father, um, specifically your moral law. Lord, we uh, come to this and we know that we don't have anything uh, to measure up to standards or to even complete them, but by your grace. And so I pray that you would strengthen us uh, to be obedient to your word. Uh, and even more, Father, to love you. Let us continue to drink deeply. Help us to write this word on our heart by the power of your spirit. 